We have a lot to talk about this morning. This is the third episode in this series all about prayer. And this is essentially part two of why we should pray. So this is the third episode in the general series of prayer, but we're taking another week to talk about why we should pray. And there are three big life-changing reasons that have been the biggest motivation for me at, that keeps me going. If you're like, if, if you're wondering if I have a prayer life, I, I do, but not as much as I would like to. But what does fuel the present prayer life that I have and my current prayer life, what motivates me to continue seeking the Lord in prayer day in and day out are these three big things. So in other words, I pray that by the end of this, you will have incredible reason, motivation, uh, a, a fire and a passion to seek the Lord in prayer. You'll know what it is uh, that drives us to the throne of grace. So understand this, prayer defined is, we've, we've already talked about this, but prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose. I want you guys to write this in the chat if you can. Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. I'll say that again. If you're wondering what prayer is, prayer is talking to God with intention, with purpose, and it's as his beloved child, and it's according to his word. All of those elements are present. Me knowing who I am as I approach the king, me recognizing who he is, and all of that is informed by the truth of the scriptures and what God has revealed. And what I'm saying carries weight. It matters. Is that I'm consciously thinking about what I'm saying. There's purpose behind what I'm saying. I'm intentionally seeking God. Okay, so part of the reason we pray and part of the purpose for prayer in a general sense is that God has sovereignly ordained or declared that prayer is a method of causing things in our world. Now, I will say, prayer is not the only way things happen, but as we saw in last week's episode, there's a lot of things that don't happen in our world, in our lives, in our culture, in our community, in our own hearts, because God has ordained prayer will be the method by which that happens. And we talked about, does prayer move God? Does it change his mind? Does, has God already decided what he's going to do before we pray or what's going on there? We talked about that last week. So go watch that. I'm not going to explain that uh, any more than I already have. But let me say this. I said this already, and I want to say it clearly in case you missed it last week, that many believers, not just the world, not just people, many believers are missing out on the full experience of what God has for them, partially, not only, but partially because we don't know or we don't pray. We don't, how to, we don't know how to pray. We don't pray. Uh, we don't know why to pray. We're not motivated to pray. In other words, prayer and the lack of a prayer life is often a huge reason why you're not seeing freedom, why you're not seeing uh, joy and peace and and purpose and power and strength and direction and, and a sense of this is who I am and this is who God's made me to be. Maybe provision is a part of that. A lot of the things in our life that are kind of unchanging often, not always, I don't make absolute statements like that, but often are due to the fact that we don't pray about those things in particular. And maybe we don't pray because we don't see the value in prayer. And maybe we don't see the value in prayer because no one has taught us what scripture says about why we should pray. What's our motivation? So the big question today is, why should we pray? And the giant answer to that, the overarching answer to that question, is that God has ordained prayer to be the, the method of causing certain things in our world and in our life. 
So why would I not tap into that? And I use that language uh, on purpose. Why would we not tap into that and access what God has made available through prayer? So what is the value in prayer? This is where we get into the scriptures. There are three big reasons. So if you guys just want to get the three big reasons and dip, not going to give you that luxury, son. You got to stick around and listen to the whole thing. I know I'm that guy. Just I want you to hear everything and not just take the sound bites and go that, that, that. Because we live in a note-taking culture where we live off notes. We treasure notes. We have notebooks and on stacks of notebooks in closets about what God has taught us in the past. We've done nothing with it. And we just love the, just summarize why I should pray. Give me the three big points. No, no. We're going to go through the scriptures. We're going to look at what the word of God says about prayer and why we should do it. Then as we go, I'll lay out each stone, each stepping stone we are stepping out on. The first one is this. We're created to need prayer. We are created to need prayer. It's actually necessarily commanded for our good in Scripture. Let me take you to what Jesus says, and and this is not explicitly about prayer. I admit that. I admit the context of John 15 is that Jesus is leaving his boys, his 11, because Judas is gone. Jesus is leaving the 11 with some really strong last words. That he, this, this is essentially some of the most important things Jesus is going to say to his, his 11 apostles right before he's arrested and crucified and dying for our sins and raising to life. Before all that happens, the context is that Jesus is saying in John 15, 5, abide in me, abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you're in big trouble. Verse 5 tells us, I'm the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. This is the relationship between disciple and Jesus, follower and master, right? He's the one that leads, we're the sheep. This is the relationship between us and Jesus. He is the vine, he's the substance, he's the source, he's the stock, and the, and the origin of it all. We are the branches that extend out from him. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So this is a lot about fruit bearing and being effective disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what I want to zone in on. Now, again, I understand that the overall context and the main point is not emphasizing prayer, but the general concept is still what I want to focus on, the, the general wisdom principle that is true for all people in all time across all history, wherever you're at and whoever you are, you can do nothing of eternal value apart from Jesus. Part of that nothing means that nothing is possible apart from Jesus and the and the a, a, an element of Jesus being present or bringing fruit in my life an element of that is that I would abide in prayer not just abide in obedience not just abide in faithfulness not just abide in seeking him in the truth of the scriptures and sitting under sound preaching but also abiding in Jesus through prayer that's part of the equation so I don't think it's a stretch or an exaggeration to say that apart from abiding in Jesus or Jesus being present in my life, I can do nothing of eternal value. And that includes seeking God in prayer. Prayer is a part of the equation. Prayer is a part of the way God has structured this relationship we have with him. It's, it's a necessary component 
of friendship with God is prayer. It's how we communicate. It's how we talk to him. It's how we get things off our chest. It's how we mentally involve God in what we're doing and trust him and lay things at his feet. That's how we do that. So prayer, as you're going to see in the following scriptures, I haven't proven it yet, but as I'm going to show you in the following scriptures, prayer is expected. Prayer is necessary. Prayer is absolutely required as a necessary component to experiencing the fullest life God has for you. The fullest measure of transformation, the fullest measure of joy, the fullest measure of relational healing, the fullest measure of of freedom from addiction and provision where you don't see it, the fullest measure of what God has for you in this life and your calling and purpose and your gifts coming to life and you discipling people and preaching the gospel and being faithful and living in obedience and breaking free of addiction, all of these things hinge upon, the fullest life hinges upon actually having a life of prayer. So let me show you in Romans chapter 12, and I have a bunch of scriptures to back this up. So no one can say, ah, you're taking it out of context, little fella. Go back to junior high. Stop that. Those comments, while they trigger me, they don't get me anymore. I don't let them. Romans, Romans 12, 12. It says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that Paul tells the church in Rome, rejoice in hope. And we'd agree that's a part of the Christian life. That's something that's expected. Be patient in tribulation. And then he essentially tells us how to do that well. Be constant in prayer. To rejoice in hope and have the perspective of God eternally. To have a patient endurance in tribulation and suffering. It Part of that involves being constant in prayer. Now, this is where you over-analytical robots like me uh, that get stressed out and anxious about not being able to do anything to the fullest extent because you're a perfectionist and you have OCD, this is where we take this statement to mean every second of every day I need to be talking to God or I'm a failure. And that's not at all what he's saying. We, We import a lot of our own understanding and our own anxieties and fears into the text. Be constant in prayer. What does that mean? There seems to be as frequent as my lungs, as frequently as my lungs need breath, as much as I depend on the breath God gives me, prayer seems to be paralleled to that in the following scriptures I'm going to show you. There is a constancy required in prayer. Now, does that refer to frequency? Does that refer to persistence? Does that refer to the degree to which I don't give up on praying for something? No matter what, okay, the idea still stands that God is expecting and desiring of us and even commanding through the Apostle Paul to be constant in prayer. And what does that look like? I think the following scriptures will clarify because I'm not just going to say a lot of things that aren't there. Ephesians 6. 17 and 18. After telling us to take up the armor of God, verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit. Now you can say this is referring to tongues. You can say, I I don't see any reason to believe that. But if you link this to Jude and Romans chapter eight and you go in the spirit, that's fine. The point still stands. There is a call on the believer to pray at all times in the spirit. If it wasn't clear enough for you in Romans 12, 
praying at all times means all the moments I possibly can be aware of and remember to pray, I should do that. It's to my benefit. It's actually a blessing in every moment in what I'm going through and who I'm talking to as I'm driving, as I'm encountering that rude employee that I just don't want nothing to do with. All these moments in life, while I'm watching my kids wrestle and, and fight it out on the floor, and I've said, stop, 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 you guys are losing your mind, you know, at all times. When I'm alone and feeling isolated, and I, I'm really wondering, is God present in my life? Because I feel so distant, and everything else is working out in, in Sharice's life, and she's following God, but me, it's not working out like that. In every moment, at all times, there's a call and an opportunity. This is not some forceful obligation that God is you know, restrictively holding you to, and you're a failure if you don't. There's an invitation every moment of every day, in every season, in every environment to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So if you're wondering, what does it mean to pray at all times? Supplication means petitioning. It's not begging like some beggar that has, I'm just terrified, this is a a son or a daughter approaching their father, making a petition, earnestly requesting something. Prayer is part of that. That's how we do that. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Do you see it? Do you see the, the, the clear language? And again, this is not some restrictive standard God holds you to, and if you don't do it, you're a failure. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation. At the same time, it is commanded for our good, and there's a call on us to respond to that invitation. In every moment, recognize the need to pray. Colossians 4.2 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The idea of being watchful is like a, a watchman on the wall, guarding the city, making sure there's no imminent danger, just looking out, constantly on guard. It's not like on edge in terms of, I, I, I need to pray because I'm terrified God's going to strike me down. It means just like a watchman is guarding the wall. I need to guard my heart and guard my mind and guard what God has entrusted to me. And part of that includes being aware of the opportunity to pray and being aware of how I can include God in what I'm doing right now. So continue steadfastly in prayer. So when Ephesians and Romans 12 says, uh, pray at all times, be constant in prayer, there's a steadfastness that is a part of that. There's a need for us, there's again, this is why I liken it to breathing. As much as my body needs oxygen, my soul not just desires the word of God, my soul craves interaction with and communion with my Father through prayer. I need that. And some of you are very imbalanced in your, in your faith. It's all scripture and no intimacy and relationship through prayer. No processing the word of God in prayer. No clearer revelation and and bringing that to God and asking for understanding in prayer. It's pure scripture. You're a scholar. You're a theologian. You're an intellectual. Very heady and brainy, right? And on the other side, we have the people who are, I just pray all day. And it's to the neglect of truth. We need to learn how to balance. I want to seek God in his word, but I also want to seek him in prayer. Every way God has enabled me to seek him, I want to take advantage of that. Now, continuing in prayer, as we saw in Ephesians 6, as we saw in Romans 12, seems to be this constancy, at least in terms of uh, 
habitual, meaning um, it, it's not just that, because some people would read prayer like uh, the, the scriptures about prayer like this, every second of every day I need to be praying. I think it's more about developing a pattern, a habit, a discipline, not a ritual, that's the wrong word, that'll freak people out. But the idea of like, this is something I'm committed to doing and it's a, it's a pattern in my life, prayer. So maybe the constancy, just, just get rid of the idea that every second of every day I need to be frequent. Maybe just have a constant everyday, you know, time where you seek God and then let that grow into or evolve into uh, bringing God into more of the situations in your life. And hopefully you get to the point where you begin to recognize the need to pray in every situation and what you're going through and how you're talking to someone and, and what you're facing and what you're scrolling through. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. Being watchful in it. But the, the idea of steadfastness uh, seems to imply for me uh, a kind of endurance that's required. It's not easy. You can be steadfast about something or you can be like lackadaisical about something and pretty lazy and half-hearted. There's a, there's a steadfastness. The way that God's steadfast love flows into our life, he's committed, he's faithful, he's loyal. Those characteristics, I want to, I want to qualify my prayer life with. I want my prayer life to be characterized by those adjectives. Be steadfast. Be faithful. Be committed. And you're like, committed? Yes, committed. Um, this is what Acts 10 says about a man named, and you probably know him, Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort in Acts chapter 10. In verse 2, here's how he's described. He's a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. And what I think is being emphasized here, okay, is not necessarily the frequency with which he's every second of every day he's praying, but rather the consistency. He's consistently praying each day. And for some of you, that's going to look like setting aside 10 minutes in the morning. And then you grow from that into 20 minutes. And then, and then you grow into 30 minutes. And then, not that it's about time or duration, but then you start to see, whoa, while I'm driving, I could be talking to God. While I'm checking the mail, I could be talking to God. While I'm dealing with the madness in my household and I'm thinking, am I a failure as a mother? I, I could be talking to God. Are you kidding me? You start to recognize that. And go, I could be including and involving God in what I'm seeing and how I'm evaluating things and ask his opinion and ask for direction in the smallest of things. And should I make that purchase? Not to be overly analytical and restrict every decision to I'm waiting for an answer. No, if you're hungry, you can, you can get the food that's right in front of you. God hasn't given me permission yet. Don't be weird about it. Don't be, don't be weird. There's a call on the believer, an invitation, an opportunity to pray continually to God the way Cornelius, a Gentile, did. Huh? The Gentile, what? Yeah. Interesting. First Corinthians, I'll go there after. Let's go to Acts 1.14. Acts 1.14, this is what the disciples were doing. I love this. This is the heart of the early church. This is the heart of, of a solid, passionate, fiery believer that goes after God with everything they are alongside other believers. This is the heartbeat of that. This is the heartbeat of revival. 
This is the heartbeat of someone who's an evangelist and, and, and walking in the things of God and just everywhere they go, the love of God follows and they're constantly mindful of God's presence. This is the heartbeat of someone like that or a group of people like that. This is the heartbeat of any great awakening God has brought throughout human history. Here it is in verse 14. All these who are gathered, those who are followers of the Messiah, Yeshua, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. One accord meaning one mind, one heart, one purpose, right? So they agreed harmoniously, let us devote ourselves to what is referred to as prayer. Why? Why? Because Jesus said, you need to wait. You need to wait. And then I'm going to send the promise of the Spirit. They don't know when he's coming. They don't know what it's going to look like. They have zero grid for what that experience is going to feel like. All they know is he said he's sending him, so we're waiting for him to come. We have Old Testament pictures of the Spirit of God coming, and so we have an idea, but we have no idea what it's going to look like. They devote themselves to prayer in response to the command Jesus gave to wait. And that's a word for some of you. While you're waiting, the best thing you can do, while you're waiting for the diagnosis to change in faith, while you're believing for God to come through financially, when he said, stay still, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move powerfully. Just like he told Moses and the Israelites, be quiet and stand still. Watch me move. As you're waiting, prayer is the best thing you can devote yourself to. This is not just, well, the apostles did that. No, you got women, you got Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have his brothers who now believe. You have people who weren't even considered apostles. So this is not just, well, the apostolic calling. No, this is, though this is just the early church. This is the people of God need to devote themselves to prayer. And again, this is not some restrictive legalistic command. It's to your benefit. Why would you not want the more God has made available through prayer? Why would you not want that? Why would you not press in? Why would you settle for what you have right now? Well, I'm supposed to be content and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That doesn't mean you, you, uh, you passively, complacently sit back when God's calling you to move forward. I'm content, God. And he's going, I know, I make you content, but I'm over here. And you don't even know that and recognize that and navigate that without prayer. Acts 6.4, this is what the apostles say. They're appointing Stephen and, and the boys to do the work of tending to the widows. He says, we will devote ourselves to prayer. Once again, this idea of being devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer. And to the ministry of the word. Not just preaching, evangelizing, signs, wonders, apostolic authority. But part of that, guys, with all the power, with all the authority that Jesus entrusted to his apostles, Peter's shadow, Paul's handkerchief, Paul just looking at someone being like, you're going to be blind for a while. Like that kind of power flowing through them by the grace of God, all of that hinged upon what? It seems to be the apostles recognized we need to devote ourselves to prayer. So this is not just unique to the apostles and their calling in the early church. We see this all throughout human history. You can read about the church fathers. You can read about those who really were a part of magnificent moves of God. You can read about Daniel. You can read about Jeremiah. You can read about those of old who followed God. There's a constant line of communication that they have with the Father. 
And if that's possible now, if the heavens are open because Jesus has gone to be our forerunner and opened the way for us to follow, and now it's an open heaven, if that is now open heavens for us, if that's possible, and that's our reality now, why would I not take advantage of the constant streamline of communication I can have with the Father? Why would I not take advantage of that? You and I, I I promise, we are created to need prayer. It is not just some religious activity. It's not just something the monks or, or every other religion has in common. It's something that uniquely for the believer, we have access and a communication line with the Father through Jesus by the Spirit at all times. And we need to take advantage of that. Just like you need to breathe. It is necessarily commanded for our good because I promise you this, and you can scour the scriptures for this and verify what I'm saying, that nothing you and I do has any eternal value if God is not in it. If God is not working in that and orchestrating that, there's nothing of eternal value that we can do without him. And part of that includes you don't have a prayer life, you're not devoted, or or I'll say it like this, okay? The degree to which you are devoted to prayer, the degree to which you choose to be constant in prayer is the degree to which God will answer and respond by moving in your life. I, I, I am telling you, in Scripture, there's one category called God is going to do this even if no one prays for it. It's what God has ordained to do. No one's going to stop him. The second category is that God will do these things if people pray. And these things don't affect God's ultimate will from being done. But these things matter in the lives of the believer and the world and affect people. So, there's a lot that God will do and says, I'm waiting for you to pray and ask me to do if we would simply seek him and pray. So, the first reason that I pray is I remember I'm created with this inherent deep soul level need to pray and have communion with God. It's not a luxury I can afford to, to take for granted and, and forget about and just sit on the shelf. I need to access that. The second reason we need to pray is that prayer is actually for the children of God to ask for their Father's help. Meaning the first reason emphasized lifestyle. Like, I depend on my my sometimes the state of my soul and my own spiritual health hangs on my prayer life and how much I'm in really seeking God. The second point emphasizes the relationship aspect. A good question to ask in your life is why do I need God's help? Some of you are honestly doing pretty fine by the world's standards without God right now. Like you're a Christian, you're just kind of coasting, you read your Bible every now and then when the verse of the day really gets your attention, you go to church, I don't know, when your girlfriend really pesters you and you're like, I'm a Christian, but life right now is pretty fine without really needing a lot of God in my life. Life is fine. So why is it that you can have a fine life without God in terms of, I'm not seeking God, I'm not reading the Bible, because I know some of you are in the chat right now. You're going, well, I don't pray. My life's pretty good. My life's good, really good. That's you. You're having a great life by the world standards. And it's temporary and it doesn't last and it's fleeting. And none of the things 
that you're looking at to go, my life is good. None of those things will matter when you stand before God. So is your life currently, by the world's standards, temporarily good? Sure. Will that amount to anything and matter when you stand before the king? It won't. Not a, not a lick. You and I are limited. We are finite. We are weak. We're dependent. And we truly can do nothing apart from God. And I don't say that half-heartedly. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I live that. I have to. I have to, not just because scripture tells me to, but because I've seen in my own life when I try to do life without him, when I try to make decisions without prayerfully considering something and searching the scriptures for wisdom and clarity, I fail. I fall short. I can't do anything that actually matters of eternal value. God, however, on the other hand, he's unlimited. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. He depends on nothing outside of himself and he can do anything. Philippians chapter 4 kind of really exposes our own inability and our need for prayer. Exposing is the right word. We need to be exposed every now and then. Philippians 4, this is what it says. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He starts off by saying rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And then he goes, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And you go, easier said than done, bro. (laughs) Don't be anxious about anything. I can barely not be anxious about one thing. Let alone look at everything in my life and go, I will be anxious about nothing. That's impossible. I can't do that. And I'm with you. I feel that tension too. But here's how we solve that. In everything by prayer and supplication. These are the qualifying terms. By prayer and supplication. In everything. Meaning, in what decisions? In the big ones? In the small ones? In the things I'm really concerned with? In the things I'm not really concerned about? In everything. Specifically the things that you're tempted to be anxious about. Everything in life has the potential to cause anxiety in me. I can, I'll, I'll tell you, my own heart can find a reason to be anxious, worried, stressed, worked up about, frankly, anything I, I look at too, for too long. There is the, I've seen in my own life the potential for anything. The smallest, most insignific- insignificant thing that you would laugh at can cause me tremendous anxiety. So there's a lot in life that has the potential to cause me anxiety. I'm tempted to let stir me up and cause anxiety, but in those things, by prayer and supplication. Here's another qualifying just term, with thanksgiving. Here's another condition. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. How many of you are sitting on unspoken requests? I remember reading this book in college talks about the tension and the frustration in marriage and a lot of marriage frustration, marital bitterness, marital division. It's actually caused by unspoken requests. You assume your spouse knows what you're thinking. You assume your spouse knows what you want to eat, when you want to eat it, and knows that you're really in pain and you're having a migraine, so she should also bring you some aspirin. We, we, all these unspoken requests we keep bottled up 
and then we project them mentally on, on our spouse and go, they should know. And then they don't know. And then they don't act according to what we thought they know. It creates frustration and tension and division. In the same way, with unspoken requests, a lot of you have this pent up frustration and bitterness towards God because you simply haven't made known to him what you're even frustrated about. You haven't even gotten him involved in your anxieties. You haven't even let him know the expectations you have. Not that God should conform to every expectation we have, but at least make them known so you can adjust and God can correct those things. A lot of you are sitting on so many unspoken requests and it's, it's, it's causing so much bitterness to well up within you. Frustration, confusion, uh, this, this desire to not even follow God anymore. Anxiety, just like we see in the parable of the sower, the cares of this world have such a have such a tendency to rob us of joy that comes from knowing God. So you can either follow God or be overwhelmed by the anxieties and concerns of this life. I have a to-do list on my computer of things that if I look at right now, I would just crumble, sit on the ground, and probably cry thinking about everything I have to do. That I try and box into one day and go, I want to get it all done now. And it causes so much frustration and anxiety in me that I end up doing nothing. And this is the parable of the sower where the anxieties and concerns of the, of, the, of the person who's trying to do something with what they heard about the gospel and they went to church and, 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 they, and they, I don't know, their friends told them about this gospel and come on to the service and come hear about God and there's so much concern and frustration and, and I'm anxious and the bills are piling up and my health and will I get hit by a car tomorrow and will my kids be okay when they go to Target and come back? Will they be fine? And anxieties pile up and then they cripple us from even making progress toward God and we do nothing. Part of the way we relieve that anxiety and those unfounded fears that cripple people is by praying and petitioning God with thanksgiving about those things. You and I have so many unspoken requests that if we put them all on paper, we'd be amazed. Why didn't I talk? Why didn't I ask God about that? Why did I not seek for direction in that? Why did I assume I knew best in that circumstance? Why did I not involve God in his wisdom to help me make a right decision there? Why? Why did I assume that I could do that without you? Why did I let anxiety get the best of me and drive me to seek after money instead of bring my request to you? Let your request be made known to God. Prayer is for the children of God. Part of the reason we pray is to relieve the anxieties and the burdens and the stress and the pressure and the worry and the overwhelming state of emotional affairs that can cripple us. Those things relieve. Because look, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which comes in and just destroys all that anxiety, all that worry, the way God has ordained, that peace that you can't even explain there's no logic to, well, let's look at the formula on the board. If God's peace, there's no way to humanly, scientifically capture what is happening there. The peace that goes beyond human comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the assumption there? My mind and my heart need to be guarded. By who? Specifically, Jesus with his peace, he guards my heart and my mind. Or you let anxiety truck you over every day. You let worry and pressures of this life 
truck you over like you're nothing. And you let anxiety kind of puppeteer you. Like, I'll do whatever you want. I'll feel whatever you want. Instead of letting the peace of God rule your hearts. And some of you are going, I do pray. I do ask. I do make requests. I wonder how tightly you're clinging to your will. And you're not open to his will being done, even if it's different than your preference. I wonder how many of you are doing that when you pray. And so you leave praying so close-fisted on your preference and your will and your agenda that you're more anxious after praying because you're stressed about God actually doing what you th- what you know is best because you know best, right? Instead of having an open hand and going, your will be done, that's where peace flows in. Prayer is for the children of God to ask for their Father's help. When you understand everyone in the world right now, regardless of age, regardless of wisdom, regardless of career, regardless of status, everywhere, every human being alive right now is essentially a child. You're either a big child, you're either a child that's been here for a long time and you're 90 years on the earth. Age doesn't change the fact that we are all walking, talking, big or small children who look to and need a father. Philippians 4 tells us that father wants to relieve your anxiety and give you peace that you've never been able to even understand in your life. He wants to. Why not? Why why don't I feel that though? Why don't I see that? Because you're sitting on every unspoken request and fear and anxiety and worry and you're tormented at night and it keeps you up and then you're exhausted in the day and then you're afraid that if you're driving with an exhausted body that you'll crash and then it just drives you deeper into anxiety you don't voice these things to god and then you bring your family into the equation and your children and their children and your spouse your brothers and sisters and their safety and their well-being and you stress about all that, then you take on the stresses of other people's lives, it's not possible. You're going to break. James 1.5, this is why we pray. There's a sense of relief and peace that comes from knowing my father is now involved. It's not that God was ever less involved. Uh, Potentially he was because he was waiting for you to pray in order to respond. But nonetheless, it's more about me being aware that my father's involved. If you live life with these these, uh, binoculars that keep you from seeing that God is around and he wants to help you, then you you look at all your problems and all your anxieties through the lens of, I got to fix this. I got to do this. I need to make more money. I need a third job. I need to figure out how to break this addiction. I need to call the counselor tomorrow. And it's all about you. But when you take off those binoculars and you go, oh, I shouldn't see life through the lens of just me handling everything. You realize there is a God that surrounds me, goes before me, is behind me, fills me. He's present in every moment. He's got my back. He's got my front. He's present. And he actually can do what I could never even dream of doing on my own. Just the awareness that your father is involved in what you're anxious about can bring so much peace. Just knowing, oh, that's right, Lord, like you are the unstoppable sovereign king of the entire universe. 
you speak and your word upholds all life that exists. There's nothing you can't do. Nothing is impossible for you. Remembering that can give you so much peace, it will just blow your mind. And instead of crying on the floor, crippled by anxiety, you start weeping in joy, praising God, knowing that he's going to move somehow. James 1.5 talks about the wisdom we need to navigate life and how we lack it. If any of you lacks wisdom, which by the way is everyone, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What's the implication here? You need to ask for your father's help. Well, I got wisdom. I have, a, I, have a, I have four degrees. I have nine doctorates. I don't care how many doctorates you have. You need wisdom that only comes from God, that only comes into your life when you ask and humbly admit that you're not wise without him. Prayer is the way we ask for our father's help. That can be wisdom. That can be provision. That can be a sense of purpose and direction. Matthew 7, 7, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask, it will be given to you. I believe the it here refers to all the things your father knows that you need, that he wants to add to you. Luke's gospel will tell us, ask, and it will be given, and it's actually referring to the Spirit of God. It could be both and. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock it will be open to you. What does it mean to ask? What does it mean to knock? What does it mean to seek? These are all ways of referring to prayer. You don't ask for something non-verbally. Well, I guess if you're going to talk to God with your thoughts, that's fine. But you don't talk to God unconsciously or even subconsciously. Maybe you do. Nope. Matthew chapter 6 tells us you don't pray like that. You pray thinking about what you're saying, consciously aware of who you're talking to. So, I'm right. Ask, seek, and knock. It refers to praying. Or at least voicing a request or something. You're asking God to do something. That's prayer. It will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. And then he talks about how, look, you guys are evil. You know how to give good, good, good gifts stuttered demon attacked me. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Just like James says, if you lack wisdom, ask, he'll give it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, anything God knows you need to live a life of godliness, to, to stay alive, to fulfill your purpose— Luke's gospel tells us it's asking for more of the spirit of God. You know, the good things we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. These are all ways of saying, pray, pray, pray. And your father responds. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that God actually intends to reward those who seek him. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This fatherly child relationship, this child to father relationship is key to prayer. You're not talking to a mob boss. You're not just talking to some impersonal distant king that just whips his servants. You're not talking to some 
master of the universe that just kind of winded the universe up and then let it go and doesn't have any involvement. You're talking to a personal, intimately involved, loving, good, omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful father who actually wants what is best for you. And sometimes that includes discipline and correction and allowing you to hit your head against the wall and face that trial. But nonetheless, prayer is about, he's my father. He can provide the help. He can give me the strength. He can give me the wisdom. The problem is we don't ask. We assume, I'm like my son. My son thinks he's strong enough sometimes. My son, my son thinks he's wise enough sometimes. My son thinks he's capable enough and experienced enough. And I watch this on TV and I'm like, bro, you can't jump off a roof and have cardboard attached to your arms. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. I promise you. Well, Jerry did. No, Jerry. Jerry ain't you. I promise you. So sometimes my son just thinks I, me, independence, autonomy. And it's like, no. You need to look to your father for direction, for help, for clarity on what you're doing. We are so much like my, I see so much of me and my son in the way that I relate with God. I see it in him. I go, man, if you want life lessons on how to, and conviction on a daily basis, have kids, have kids. Prayer is how we involve God in everything we're doing in our life. We don't just need God to show us what to do. I don't just need God to list out the instructions like Ikea and go, here's how to do it, even though this is never going to happen because Ikea doesn't get their crap together. We have a God, okay, and we need a God who doesn't just show us what to do and how to do it, but he actually wants to do these things alongside of us. That's the kind of fatherly relationship we need. Prayer is the way we go, I'm looking at something I could do on my own. The problem is, Something inside of me doesn't want to do this myself. I want to involve my father. I want God to lead me. I want his... Maybe sometimes you are totally capable of doing what, you, what you're asking God to be a part of. Sometimes my son does the same thing. He, he can totally go pee by himself. He does not need me. Sometimes it is fear that creeps in and says, I need my dad. But a lot of times he just goes, you come with me. Sure. You could totally do this on your own. I don't know why I'm here. But it's, it's the aspect of relationship that gets so neglected in prayer. We need prayer not just because we're desperate and dependent and we, we rely on him, but it's for relationship. I want God to be involved in everything I'm doing. Not sin, not darkness, not worldliness, not mindless scrolling and mindless video games. Not that those things are inherently bad, but to an extreme, right? I want God to be a part of everything. So I'm going to pray. And this is not like getting on my knees like I'm, you know, Mother Teresa everywhere I am on the bus. If you feel led to, by all means, but you don't have to. It's just when I'm driving, I just want to involve God and talk to him. Just like he's a passenger in the seat. Because I want to be aware of him. It's to my benefit that I'm aware of his presence. It's not just about his help. It's not just about his wisdom and his strength. We don't just abuse the relationship we have with God for all the benefits. It's the aspect of knowing him and having him a part of what I'm doing. That's incredibly valuable. And we need that daily. Why do you think as kids, we are desperate to like be near our parents and go where they go and bring them with us? There's something within us as image bearers of God that cries out 
for a, a fatherly figure, mainly God, to be present in what I'm doing. Proverbs 3, 6. It says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Why would I need to acknowledge God in all my ways? I don't need God to tell me X, Y, and Z. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's more about holding his hand and partnering with him and seeing an opportunity in that thing that you're doing that you wouldn't have seen without God being present, or at least without you being aware of his presence. Maybe acknowledging God is, is not just, hey, you're here, sweet, and then I ignore him the rest of the day. Maybe it's actually going, hey, I don't want to be wise in my own eyes. I need to turn away from evil, so I'm going to fear the Lord, and part of that includes involving God in what I'm doing to help him straighten my paths. Instead of assuming I know how to do it, and I've done it before, and I've been, I've been here. I got the t-shirt. I got the experience. I got the degree, God. I don't really need you. Prayer is the way we actually involve God. You have no idea how many things we just write off as, I got this because I can do it. And you're missing an opportunity to not just draw near to God, but potentially see incredible, miraculous things break out in your life just by him being present and you being aware of his nearness in the very simple things you do. We need prayer. We're made for it. We're wired for it. We're actually, our soul cries out for relationship and communication with the Father. The last thing is this. Prayer is how we deal with impossible situations. Not just asking for my Father's help in like the mundane, the simple, the basic, and the difficult, but actually like impossible situations that the doctors can do nothing about and they're dumbfounded and they've never seen any case like this. Situations where up to this point in your entire family's history, nothing like this has ever occurred and everyone is just, their mouth is shut going, we're speechless. We can't provide you any value. We don't know what to do. In impossible situations where you look to the world and they're going, you look to the politicians and you look to those with the greatest power and authority and money and they're going, in those moments, prayer is to be our first response, not just our last resort. When you face distress, when you face anguish, when you face suffering and pain and unexpected trials, when you face temptation, in, in specifically, not only, but specifically those kinds of situations, especially Prayer is to be our first response and not our last resort. So many of us, myself included, will wait until I'm desperate enough to really call out for God. I'll wait till I, the walls really close in. I'll see how it plays out. I'll see if I got wiggle room to scheme my way out and see if I can make a few calls, see if I can like, you know, just jump on this new business opportunity. We'll see how this works out. We wait till our back is up against the wall and everything is closed in until we are desperate. Then we go, okay, I'll cry, I'll, I'll cry out to God for help. That's not the way biblical prayer is presented. Prayer is to be our first response, not our last resort. I don't call up everyone and exhaust every resource and see every, and then I go, okay, God, what do you got? I go, God, in this moment, I could turn to people 
I could turn to them because they got the status and the fame and the numbers and the money and the opportunity and the influence. I could turn to my experience. I could turn to even like compromising my values and, and no one would know and I'd remain anonymous, but I'm going to seek you first. And I am distressed and I am anxious and I am worried and I'm freaking out, but I'm going to turn to you first because it is God who does the impossible. Jesus says this in, uh, to the rich young ruler or to the disciples right after the rich young ruler misses his opportunity Jesus goes man it is so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and the disciples go it's not what we want to hear why who can be saved and Jesus goes well with man this is what impossible but with God all things all things capital A-L-L, all things are possible. This is what Psalm 18.6 says. If you're facing impossible addiction 46 years, impossible marital issues that you've, you've done counseling, you've done therapy, you've, you've gone the route of anointing them in oil, you've done everything you possibly can, you've, you've played the servant role, you've humbled yourself, and nothing is changing. The diagnosis has come. And the doctors are going, we have no idea what this is, what's causing it, or how to solve it. But you have X amount of years to live, or X amount of weeks or months. Whatever you're facing, your kids walked away, and they said, we'll never, ever follow God. We hate God because of you. And you're looking at this impossible situation where nothing, nothing will change it. You've tried everything. Psalm 18.6 says this, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. What does that look like? Prayer. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Notice, in his distress, when distress hit, the psalmist is driven. It's almost like this is being squeezed out of him. A cry for help. It's funny. Trials will really show you who you rely on and who you trust in. Trials and suffering and those things have a knack of really exposing who you rely on. Because what's squeezed out of you and who you're driven to is honestly who you trust. And we don't just want God's help for the impossible things. We want to recognize, yes, there might be things, again, I can do without God. But why would I want to? Just because I can. There's a lot of scripture that says just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Well, it's possible. I could easily do this. Eh, pause. Doesn't mean you should. Well, I don't need God's direction here. Eh, I think you do. I think the very fact that you don't think you need his direction tells you, eh, at least ask him. At least ask him. Well, I don't need God's direction for where to go for lunch. You'd be surprised if you'd ask what he'd say. If he says nothing, go somewhere. At least you're now open to God moving where you go and you're open to his leading. Mark eleven twenty three through 24 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, because this is after Jesus cursed the fig tree. Disciples go, whoa. Peter goes, whoa. Look. Look. And the disciples go, oh. Jesus goes, hmm? the, the, the tree withered. Jesus had to. Whoa. 
And Jesus goes, eh, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Regardless of how you interpret this passage, is it Jerusalem, is it an impossible? This is referring to an impossible situation no matter what. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it, it will be yours. Are you kidding me? Believe that I've received it? I can barely believe that God's right there while I'm talking to him. That's some of you, right? I can barely believe God's listening to what I'm saying or that I'm not just talking to the ceiling. Believe I've received it. What kind of faith is that? That's why he says have faith in God, not yourself. He doesn't say have faith in you and your words and your performance and your education and your theology. He says have faith in God. When you're looking at an impossible situation that Jesus will typify with this mountain, which I believe can be referring to Jerusalem in the current condition, but the impossible situation you're facing and going, it's Moses and the Israelites standing up against the Reed Sea. Going, we're dead. Nice knowing you. Moses goes, ah, don't. Don't count yourselves out yet. Just shut up and watch God go to work. You just be quiet and stay there. There are impossible situations in your life that are purposed mainly to drive you to the throne to see how capable your father is. And if nothing else, you at least are driven and pushed to his throne to find greater relationship and a greater understanding of who he is, which can be more valuable than God just doing what I want. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. You have a, a young boy who was possessed by a demon that could do nothing about it. His dad could do nothing about it, which sounds like the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years Doctors couldn't do anything. They only made it worse. She touches Jesus. But here we have Jesus looking at a faithless generation and going, man, bring him here. He rebuked the demon. It came out. The boy was healed instantly. The disciples come to Jesus privately and go, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? He said, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. Like, honestly, the size doesn't matter. Just the fact that it's present and it's in the God who is big. You'll say to this mountain, which here we have another statement, likened to what he said in the fig tree with the cursed fig tree in Mark. You'll say to this mountain, move, go from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I believe the mountain is supposed to be representative of demons, which if you read the ESV, depending on what translation you use, verse 21 is left out for some reason. No idea why. But in Mark 9.29, we have that information filled in for us. This kind cannot be driven out by anything except prayer. And I believe fasting is included in that. In other words, they're going, why couldn't we do this? This was an impossible situation. Jesus goes, well, 
prayer is the answer to that. A mountain, an impossible demonic presence, an addiction, whatever it may be. The answer to that is praying and having faith in a big God. Because that's who he is. He's more than capable. Let me take you to Acts chapter 16. I think this is the right scripture. Um, yeah, this is crazy. About midnight, Paul and Silas have been thrown into prison. I believe they're in Philippi. And uh, they're singing. Look at what they're doing. Okay, this is very important. Everyone always focuses on the singing hymns. They're like, worship breaks chains. Singing loud breaks prison doors. And I'm all for that to a degree. But don't neglect the prayer. That's probably like the biggest thing. Paul and Silas are praying. And they're singing hymns to God. Meaning their singing is framed up as prayer and praise. And the prisoners are listening. And suddenly, meaning no one expected this, just happened out of nowhere. No one anticipated this would happen. There's a great earthquake, which seems to have come from God. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. And then we have the jailer and Philippi end up coming to Christ with his family. And it's just, it's bonkers. It's awesome. But don't neglect this very simple yet powerful truth. Paul and Silas are in an impossible situation that they can do nothing about. And what do they do? They pray and they praise and they sing. Why? Because prayer and worship, okay, so many people forget that praising, singing, worshiping is actually supposed to be a form of prayer or adoration or, or declaring God's greatness and, and it's framed up as being to him or, or to the world about him and it's this kind of grandiose, I'm praying to you but I'm declaring it in song form and people forget that. But this is how they responded to impossible situations. How do you respond? When your back's against the wall, when you've called everyone, no one can help you. And you've exhausted all your resources. You've Googled your way into more anxiety than you've ever had in your life. What do you do? The answer seems to be prayer. In distress, in turmoil, in suffering, in persecution, in unfathomable difficulty, the answer seems to be prayer. We need prayer. Why does God lead us into and through the valley? Why does God bring us up against impossible situations? And we go, where are you, God? Why'd you bring me here? This is impossible. And God goes, because I want to show you how capable I am. And I want your relationship with me and your knowledge of me to go to another level. And that involves facing something that you've never gone through before or in a way you've never faced it and you can't do anything about it. So you look to me. That's why God does it. Acts 27, 29, not to say all suffering and all turmoil and all pain comes from God, but God uses that and often will lead us intentionally through certain things that we'd rather avoid than what the enemy meant for evil, God intends for good. Acts 27, 29, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, Paul 
is on his way to Rome. He's in shackles. He's being delivered by ship. And in the middle of this massive storm, the boat's running along the rocks. They let down the anchors from the stern and they prayed for day to come. There's a desperation. We see this with Jonah, or at least the men who are on Jonah's boat. The storm picks up and every man starts crying out to their God. It's inherent to human nature to cry out to something bigger, whether we even believe it exists or not, or whether it's a false pagan God, something inside of our human soul knows in impossible situations where my life is on the line and I am in distress, I cry out to something bigger and stronger and more capable than me. We see this with Daniel chapter six. When Daniel knew that a document was signed, meaning if you pray, to anyone, any God except King Darius, you'd be thrown in the lion's den. How does Daniel respond? He stops praying. No, he doesn't. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He's running the risk of being seen. Some people would say like, oh, he's trying to get caught. No, Solomon, when he erected the temple, prayed, God, if your people pray with their eye toward this temple, hear from heaven and answer them. Daniel's taken that to heart. Daniel swings open the windows, prays towards Jerusalem so he can do what was prescribed in 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, wherever it is. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. Three times a day. So there's even a value Without being legalistic and rigid and ritualistic and religious, there is a proper time and place for having a planned time of prayer throughout your day. Silver Mouse, Marcus would agree with me. The Jewish prayers, having time allocated throughout the day, set an alarm, have it on your schedule where you go, oh, it's time. Time to say my morning prayers. Time to say my evening prayers. Time to say my, my noon prayers, whatever it is. It's a reminder. Without being religious and legalistic, it's a helpful way of getting me to remember to pray when I forget. Maybe you're a new believer and you're going, I don't know how to pray like even before my meal. How am I supposed to pray all day? Well, maybe you have alarms set and a schedule where you're like, five o'clock, whatever it is, this is my time to pray. No matter what, I'm going to seek him. And then that begins to become more organic and natural and it's deep within your heart, and then you just pray more naturally throughout the day. Maybe that's how it starts. But Daniel Daniel gives thanks. In other words, he keeps doing what he's been doing. That's how he responds to prayer. What about in James chapter 5? We have Elijah, who was a man just like us, with a nature just like ours, meaning he's a human. And he prayed fervently that it would not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Elijah responds to the wickedness of King Ahab and Jezebel and the Israelite people abandoning God. And that's an impossible situation to get their attention and bring God back into this. So we know what he does. He prays. Specifically that it wouldn't rain. God answers. What a weird thing to pray for. Maybe we should follow that. You look at a nation that's depraved and wicked and no one's following God and you go, I'm going to pray that God would withhold rain so people would see their need for God and turn to him. What a, just a, a unique way of looking at life. 
we have a man named um, Publius after Paul um, crash, not crash lands, but the boat boat breaks apart after you know on his way to Rome. He I forget where he is Malta. It's funny I met someone from Malta. And I was like, what? that's like a real place still. That was just a historical relic. The father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed. Does Paul necessarily command um, the sickness to go on his own authority? Prayer seems to be a part of that if he did. But he does put his hands on him and heal him. And prayer seems to be a way to respond to that impossible situation. Where Publius, which you got a baby, looking for a name, bingo. There you go. Call him Pubby for short. Acts 8.15. You have Peter and John coming down to Samaria, and they pray. This isn't necessarily one of those impossible situations, but to, to verify the Samaritans, and it's all about you know what God's doing in the early church. Um, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.40. Uh, there's a dead sister in Christ named Tabitha. Impossible situation. Nothing can change what's happened, right? Hmm? God can. Peter takes everyone, puts them outside, seems to imitate Jesus in that fashion. Remember when Jesus puts out all the people when he goes to heal Jairus' daughter? Peter kneels down and prays, and he says, Tabitha, arise. We often think of the apostles walking around just like, I don't know, freaking Harry Potter's casting spells. It's not what happened. <laughs> it's not like they're just like, anything I want, God's going to do. No, they, they seem to be aligned with the will of God, and that involves prayer. So when we have recorded where Peter will say, get up and walk, or, or you, you're not blind, or Harry, check out my shadow. <laughs> we don't know what happened with that. But it seems to be God ordains. That's the way people are healed, or God answers, or comes through, because prayer is something they're devoted to. So they're operating in the authority and according to the will of God um, as closely as they possibly could because prayer kind of brings precision to their ministry to know where the Father's moving and what the Father's wanting to do. So Peter can look at Tabitha, an impossibly you know, dead, pun intended, situation, and Peter goes, hmm, he prays. And he goes, Tabitha, get up. And then we saw in Acts 10, Cornelius. So to recap, three things, three reasons to pray. Number one, we're created to need prayer. Just like our body needs breathing, our soul, our spirit desperately needs communication, interaction uh, with the presence of God, intimacy, relationship. The second reason, prayer is for children, the children of God, to ask for their father's help, to make requests. That's the relational aspect. And the third thing, this prayer is how we deal with impossible situations. Prayer is how we deal with impossible situations. And if those three, three reasons don't drive you to pray, I don't know what will. I, I just pray that something sticks with you. Just one thing really hits you deep this morning and you go, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. And so, listen, um, if you guys don't know, this is Above Reproach Ministry. You can find everything we have at AboveReproachMinistry.com. I'm going to take a few questions. Um, so any questions about prayer, any questions about what we talked about today, 
Um, and as you guys gather your questions, I'm going to answer probably just two, three, depending on how long it takes. Um, visit AboveReproachMinistry.com. You can join our online church on the Discord app. Um, Discord is not a way of summarizing how we are or our culture. It's the name of the application we use. It's a platform. So you can join our online church through Discord. Um, you can get a bunch of all the free stuff we have. We have free devotional studies, free online Bible study skills courses, uh, a 40-day Bible study program, a 27-day, and 11-day. You can take those right here for free. You have to sign in with your Gmail or whatever email you choose to use. And then you can always order my book, Fruitful, right here, or sample it right here. Instead of, before you order it on Amazon, you can sample it, get some church merch. We have a lot of cool, just things that will help you represent Jesus on your body, as well as some digital stuff. And then we have a podcast. Every sermon here on Monday gets uploaded to podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast. And then we have a second podcast, Above Reproach Church Podcast for the local church. And then... Um, the last thing is if you want to donate to this ministry, I have a wife and two kids. We just moved to South Carolina, our first ever house. This ministry has so many moving parts, and we only can do all of this or create all of these free resources to everyone around the world because of generous supporters like you guys. And so if you'd like to give and be a part of what God is doing and you see value in it and you want to help us continue reaching people all around the world, creating free resources, discipling, equipping, empowering people, um, you can give uh, through a check send it to PO Box 338 Green Cove Springs, Florida for now until I change that. You can donate through debit or credit card right here. Again, you can get some church merch, sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, or be a monthly supporter on Patreon. And if you sign up through Patreon for a monthly support, you actually get access to um, some cool perks and benefits. So I think I'm going to look at the questions now, see if we got any in the chat, um, just want to, any questions, anything that I didn't clarify or any points of confusion or disagreements that I can maybe fix. Um, Leandra says, I imagine that praying silently is like sending a text message. Praying out loud is like calling. Let me do this. I want to actually pull up the uh, chat so you guys can see the comments I'm working with because that's always fun. So, hold on one sec. What I'm going to do is pull this up here. Come on, load. Load, baby. And then this gives you guys time to ask questions because I don't necessarily see. Uh, I see Otis. I'll get to Otis in a second. Hang tight, Otis. I got you. I got you. I got you. Get overlay. Okay. Uh, comments. Sorry, I didn't plan to do this, so I'm just making sure it's all set up. Okay. All right. Let me change this real fast. I've got to configure my Dream Deck. And we should be good to go. So that now if I click on Otis's question, you guys can see it. Sweet. Okay. So, Otis says, my son wants to know how to pray when he doesn't know what to pray for. Yeah, I, Otis, I'm going to tell you, go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus will give your son more than enough to pray for, um, but not so much that it overwhelms him, right? 
he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it seems like when we pray, we recall and remember who God is, what he's done, where he is. And in other words, prayer seems to involve, firstly, worship and thanksgiving um, and adoration. So you can tell your son, like, hey, son, like, think about who God is. Think about what he's done. God is patient. God is loving. God is kind. God is merciful. Um, you know, and just thank God for being those things and remind yourself who he is. Um, you can also, your kingdom come, your will be done. Meaning when you pray, ask for God's kingdom to really take over this world because we see that in Daniel's vision that's going to happen. You know, you can pray, God, your will be done um, here just like it is done in heaven. You can pray for your needs. You can pray for forgiveness. Uh, Tell your son, like, confess sins. Ask God to give you, think about all the things you're, you're worried about or stressed about or afraid of. Pray about those things. Bring those before God. Confess your sins. Ask God to protect you from evil. Ask God to deliver you from temptation. Um, so there's a lot of places you could go, but I hope that's at least, don't want to overwhelm your son, don't know how old he is, but hopefully that's helpful. Um, I want to answer questions that relate to prayer. Uh, nothing against your question, Liz, but specifically questions that have to do with the topic of today. Um, I'm going to prioritize those. Joshua says, how do you define praying without ceasing? If we're going to be, hold on, let me pull it up. First Thessalonians, I think. Yeah, First Thessalonians 5. Give me one second. So I want to look up just in general how to translate the praying without ceasing, unceasingly, Greek word, adialiptos, 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 sounds like what my daughter says when she wakes up in the morning, just pure gibberish, unceasingly, without remission, incessantly, Properly, nothing in between, without any unnecessary interval or time gap. Um, constantly, it's another translation, without intermission. So I guess the best way, like we went through Romans, we looked at Ephesians 6. It's a, um, I would define praying, uh, sorry, without ceasing as more relating to not the frequency, but the constancy. And then as you become more con- consistent, that's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's referring to more consistency um, as opposed to absolute frequency. So I would say to pray unceasingly is there's a standard that we can all aim for, which is to pray every moment we're alive. Um, and as we aim for that, The goal is that we would become more consistent and more constant in prayer. But I think it refers to having, um, praying without ceasing, being like the, what Ephesians 6 says. When it says, pray at all times in the spirit. Maybe like, I don't know, there's a way to make that statement more burdensome and 
uh, restrictive than it needs to be. I think the goal is, the ideal is, hey, as believers, it's to your benefit. Pray without ceasing in all moments, every second of life. But another way to you know, work your way towards that is to pray at all times in the Spirit. I don't know anyone who that I've ever met or come across who is who can honestly say that every moment I'm alive and conscious, I'm praying. That's for sure the goal. I would love to get to that point. Not to be obsessive and overly analytical and almost like beat myself down when it's not enough, but to just get to the point where I'm more consistent in prayer throughout my day as opposed to being inconsistent. Some people pray like every three days. They're like, I forgot God exists, so I should talk to him today. Um, but I think it refers to being more in your pattern and habits and not schedule, but being more consistent about prayer instead of being so uh, intermittent and so off. Probably just gives you more questions. Um, guy beats. Uh, hold on. I'm going to look for any questions that have to do with prayer. This involves prayer. Because you're prayerfully navigating a, a, a decision. So professional summarizer going into your junior year. Love it. Love that you're here. Um, why is my screen doing that? He says, yo, I'm going to junior year. My family wants me to go to college, but I want God's plan, which I know is better. Any advice? Um, how do you know? I'll say this. Pray and ask God if your parents and their advice for you is actually part of his plan. God's plan for you, if your parents are seeking God, if your parents are going after Jesus and following him, their advice and their desire for you might actually be aligned with God's will for you. So you might not have to choose, but I would pray no matter what. Instead of figuring out like, well, how much are my parents aligned with God's will? I would pray and go, Lord, my parents have this desire of me and they have something that they think is good for me and they want me to do this. I'm a junior, going to be a junior in high school. So I admit, I'm still learning. Would you please, I would, this is what I would do. God, please make it crystal clear to me where you're leading me. And if you don't answer, then I'm going to move towards something. And I ask that you would please shut the door if that's not good. Or keep it open if you're with me. Or if you are actually giving me the choice here and you'll bless both equally, then help me to make a wise decision. So maybe it's not which one is right and which one is wrong in this situation. Prayer sometimes gives us perspective to see, oh, both are equally going to be blessed by God. And in this situation, it's not like one is wrong or one is right. Both. God could be saying both. Take pick, You pick. You know, exercise wisdom. Sometimes it becomes... Um, when you face decisions, professional summarizer, tell me your name. When you face decisions, sometimes God is giving you the opportunity to really exercise wisdom instead of going, tell me what the right answer is. God's going, you should know my word and my character so you can look at both decisions and figure out if 
either is more consistent with my ways or not. Yeah, so Isaac really captures the heart of what I was saying. He says, praying without ceasing is mainly making prayer a lifestyle. We never stop eating. Praying should be as eating without ceasing is mainly being consistent in prayer. So that's why I said it's not necessarily referring to the duration or the frequency with which you pray, but rather the how much is that a pattern in your life? How consistent? If you eat only breakfast every day, you're not eating as consistently as most human beings do. Most humans eat at least, you know, breakfast and dinner. Most people skip lunch because they're too busy stressing about life to remember they're hungry. So, I mean, it, it becomes how often do I pray? I want to pray as often as I can. All right. This is the last question. Leandra says, do we need to pray about a specific situation over and over until we get an answer? Or do we pray one time and wait? Who is a good example of this? Um, you, you guys have heard me talk about Jonathan a lot because he's just a fantastic example of someone who is moving forward. Um, sometimes, God, you pray as you're walking towards something. Well, I'll say this. We should always be praying as we move towards something. As we're moving towards making a decision, we should prayerfully approach that decision. But sometimes, God actually wants us to stop moving towards something, a decision, and just stop and pray. And then as we pray, we get more clarity about which is likely, if I have several options, which is likely the will of God. And I think just like Psalm 119 says, the, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. I think prayer functions the same. As we seek God and acknowledge him in all our ways, sometimes he just clarifies each step. And he goes, step here. And you're like, okay, well, and he goes, hold on. I didn't say take a second step. I said, step there. Now stop, seek me, pray. Okay, I don't hear anything, God. Where are you? Hold on. Sometimes we just need to give God time to answer. And other times, the fact that he's not speaking as quickly as we'd like, uh, is actually God giving us the freedom to move forward as we continue praying. Meaning, God's silence can be an indication that either option is okay. Or you have the wisdom necessary to actually make an informed, biblical, God-honoring decision in this situation. So I wish I could tell you, sometimes God does clarify immediately and goes, that, not that. Sometimes it's dead silence. And you're like, I guess I'm not supposed to move forward. And other times he's silent and he actually wants you to prayerfully move forward towards something because he's blessed both options. Um, but Leandra, I think no matter what, you, you will never, I'll say this, you'll never over pray. What you can end up doing is only praying and not doing anything alongside that prayer. But I don't think you can ever over pray where people are like, Bro, you pray too much. Walk forward. I can walk forward and make decisions while always being prayerful. I should pray as much as I can. How long do I wait? And I'll tell you, Leandra, that the answer to your question is something you discover in... It's, I, it's not something that I can like show you in a classroom. 
there's no intellectual answer to that question that I can think of. That's more of a relationship question. That's a question where you get the answer to that as you discover more of who God is and you walk with him longer and you understand his ways better and you get to, I guess, be more familiar with the heart of God. Um, in other words, that, that, the answer to that will probably come through more experience. Um, and so if God is silent, often that can be don't move forward. Often that can be um, you have permission to pursue either and both are equally blessed. Other times, sometimes silence is in fact um, a no in some indication, in some uh, situations. So navigating that, I, I wish I could give you like a, like a rule book. And go, just go to Amazon.com and order 50 ways to make sure God's no is not a, or silence is not a no. There's no such thing. It's, it's really personal, relational discernment is required. And I think you are more than, it's funny. There are the people who don't depend on God at all because they're independent. And then there are the people that look to God, almost like a dog, that's like, Tell me everything to do, Master. Do I go lay down? And and they don't employ any uh, wisdom that they have to. I don't know. They they feel this like God needs to tell me everything to do. And I I, I think the more you know God in His Word, the more you can engage life with discernment and wisdom while you pray, instead of just saying I need to pray because I need to. No, what God wants. Is it a yes or no here? Well, you should grow up to be able to make decisions, not on your own, but for yourself with the wisdom God has given you as you pray. But it's never don't pray. It is grow up more to become more capable of making wise decisions with God's help instead of going, God, tell me everything to do. Eh, that's probably not how it's going to end up playing out. Um, so... There, there are a number of uh, possibilities, Leandra, to answer that question, a number of ways to answer that. Do you pray one time and wait? Sometimes it depends on the situation. Sometimes it depends on the season of life you're in, what God is doing. I would always say pray. And then sometimes the silence is an indication to wait for God to clarify some things so you can have confidence to move forward. James, I think it's in 1 Corinthians where it says, uh, or James, I forget where, it says, anything that is done not in faith Is it James? Romans! Way off. Not even close. Whoever doubts is condemned, referring to the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. If he eats because the eating is not from faith, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Um, meaning I believe the confidence and the surety to our steps that is a result of our faith will come as we seek God. But I'll tell you this, if you're doubting and you're unsure, I would probably not move forward until God has clarified or spoken into the situation or given me more of, a of like this freedom to move forward. So Yes. And look, we'll be back on Wednesday for a Q&A, so if I, if I didn't get to your question, I apologize. 
we're ending this. And in 10 minutes, um, there'll be a lot of people in our online church gathering for prayer, gathering for just fellowship and talking through the scriptures. I encourage you guys to join. The links are in the description below if you want to join our online church. Um, But we'll have to save all the rest of these questions for Wednesday when we have our Q&A. Lord willing. All right. So I'll see you guys Wednesday. And I hope, let me know in the chat what you guys learned about prayer as we bring this thing to a close. What did you learn about prayer particularly? What really stood out? Um, And then save your questions for Wednesday when we have our Q&A. And I think that's all I have. You guys keep moving towards Jesus. And I'll see you guys later. Bye.